0: Welcome to the Words That Minister Grace podcast. In this podcast, we read excerpts from books that the host finds edifying. Expect to hear from authors such as Matthew Henry, John Calvin, and J.C. Ryle. We take our name from Ephesians 4.29, where Paul exhorts us that our speech should build up each other, or as the King James says, Minister Grace. I am your host, the fake King Hesse. In this episode... We continue our reading of Calvin's Institute's Book 2, Chapter 8. We'll be reading Sections 25-27, through wrapping up Calvin's discussion on the Third Commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 25. The name of God is vulgarized and vilified when used in oaths, which, though true, are superfluous. This, too, is to take his name in vain. Wherefore, It is not sufficient to abstain from perjury, unless we, at the same time, remember that an oath is not appointed or allowed for passion or pleasure, but for necessity, and that, therefore, a licentious use is made of it by him who uses it on any other than necessary occasions. Moreover, no case of necessity can be pretended, unless where some purpose of religion or charity is to be served. In this matter... Great sin is committed in the present day, sin the more intolerable in this, that its frequency has made it cease to be regarded as a fault, though it certainly is not accounted trivial before the judgment seat of God. The name of God is everywhere profaned by introducing it indiscriminately in frivolous discourse, and the evil is discarded because it has been long and audaciously persisted in with impunity. The commandment of the Lord, however, stands. The penalty also stands and will one day receive effect. Special vengeance will be executed on those who have taken the name of God in vain. Another form of violation is exhibited when, with manifest impunity, we in our oaths substitute the holy servants of God for God himself, thus conferring upon them the glory of his Godhead. It is not about cause the Lord has, by a special commandment, required us to swear by his name, and by a special prohibition forbidden us to swear by other gods. The apostle gives a clear attestation to the same effect when he says that men verily swear by the greater, but that when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Hebrews 6, 6.16.13 26. The Anabaptists, not content with this moderate use of oaths, condemn all. Without exception, on the ground of our Saviour's general prohibition, I swear unto you: swear not at all. Let your speech be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Matthew five thirty four, James five twelve. In this way, they inconsiderately make a stumbling stone of Christ, setting him in opposition to the Father, as if he had descended into the world to annul his decrees in the law. The Almighty not only permits an oath as a thing that is lawful, this were amply sufficient, but in case of necessity actually commands it. Exodus 22:11. Christ again declares that he and his Father are one, that he only delivers what was commanded of his Father, that his doctrine is not his own, but his that sent him. John 10, 18, 30, 17, 16 What then? Will they make God contradict himself? by approving and commanding at one time what he afterwards prohibits and condemns. But as there is some difficulty in what our Savior says on the subject of swearing, may be proper to consider it a little. Here, however, we shall never arrive at the true meaning, unless we attend to the design of Christ and the subject of which he is treating. His purpose was neither to relax nor to curtail the law, but to restore the true and genuine meaning, which had been greatly corrupted by the false glosses of the scribes and pharisees. If we attend to this, we shall not suppose that Christ condemned all oaths, but those that only which transgress the rule of the law. It is evident from these oaths themselves that the people were accustomed to think it enough if they avoided perjury, whereas the law prohibits not perjury merely, but also vain and superfluous oaths. Therefore our Lord, who is the best interpreter of the law, reminds them that there is a sin not only in perjury, but in swearing. How in swearing? Namely, by swearing vainly. Those oaths, however, which are authorized by the law, he lives safe and free. Those who condemn oaths think that their argument invincible when they fasten on the expression, not at all. The expression applies not to the word swear, but to the subjoined forms of the oath. For part of the error consisted in their supposing, that when they swore by the heaven and the earth, they did not touch the name of God. The Lord, therefore, after cutting off the principal source of provocation, deprives them of all subterfuge, warning them against supposing that they escape guilt by suppressing the name of God and appealing to heaven and earth. For it ought here to be observed in passing, that although the name of God is not expressed, yet men swear by him in using indirect forms, as when they swear by the light of life, by the bread they eat, by their baptism, or by any other pledges of the divine liberality towards them. Some erroneously suppose that our Savior, in that passage, rebuked superstition by forbidding men to swear by heaven and earth, and Jerusalem. He rather refutes the sophistical subtlety of those who thought it nothing vainly to utter indirect oaths, imagining that they thus spared the holy name of God, whereas that name is inscribed on each of his mercies. The case is different, when any mortal living or dead, or an angel, is substituted in the place of God, as in the vile form devised by flattery in heathen nations, by the life or genius of the king. For, in this case, the false apotheosis obscures and impairs the glory of the one God. But when nothing else is intended than to confirm what is said by an appeal to the holy name of God, although it is done indirectly, yet his majesty is insulted by all frivolous oaths. Christ strips this abuse of every vain pretext when he says, Swear not at all. To the same effect is the passage in which James uses the words of our Savior above quoted, James 5.12. For this rash swearing has always prevailed in the world, notwithstanding that it is a profanation of the name of God. If you refer the words not at all to the act itself, as if every oath without exception were unlawful, what will be the use of the explanation which immediately follows? neither by heaven, neither by the earth, etc. These words make it clear that the object in view was to meet the cavils by which the Jews thought they could extenuate their fault. 27. Every person of sound judgment must now see that in the passage our Lord merely condemned those oaths which were forbidden by the law. For he who in his life exhibited a model of the perfection which he taught did not object to oaths whenever the occasion required them, and the disciples, who doubtlessly in all things obeyed their master, followed the same rule. Who will dare to say that Paul would have sworn Romans one nine to Corinthians one twenty three if an oath had been altogether forbidden? But when the occasion calls for it, he adjures without any scruple and sometimes even imprecates. The question, however, is not yet disposed of. For some think that the only oaths exempted from the prohibition are public oaths, such as those which are administered to us by the magistrate, are independent states employing in ratifying treaties, are the people take when they swear allegiance to their sovereign, are the soldier in the case of the military oath, and others of a similar description. To this class they refer, and justly, those protestations in the writings of Paul, which assert the dignity of the gospel, since the apostles... In discharging their office were not private citizens, but the public servants of God. I certainly deny not that such oaths are the safest because they are most strongly supported by passages of scripture. The magistrate is enjoined, in a doubtful manner, to put the witness upon oath, and he in his turn to answer upon oath. And an apostle says, that in this way there is an end of all strife. Hebrews 6.16 In this commandment, both parties are fully approved. Nay, We may observe that among the ancient heathens a public and solemn oath was held in great reverence, while those common oaths which were indiscriminately used were in little or no estimation, as if they thought that in regard to them the deity did not interpose. Private oaths used soberly, sacredly, and reverently, on necessary occasion, it were perilous to condemn, supported as they are by reason and example. For if private citizens are permitted, in a grave and serious matter, to appeal to God as a judge, much more may they appeal to him as a witness. Your brother charges you with perfidy. You, as bound by the duties of charity, labor to clear yourself from the charge. He will on no account be satisfied. If, through his obstinate malice, your good name is brought into jeopardy, you can appeal without offense to the judgment of God, that he may in time manifest your innocence. If the terms are weighed, it will be found that it is a less matter to call upon him to be witness, and I therefore see not how it can be called unlawful to do so. And there is no want of examples. If it is pretended that the oath which Abraham and Isaac made with Abimelech was of public nature, that by which Jacob and Laban bound themselves in mutual league was private. Boaz, though a private man, confirmed his promise of marriage to Ruth in the same way. Obadiah, too, a just man and one that feared God, though a private individual, in seeking to persuade Elijah, asseverates with an oath. I hold, therefore, that there is no better rule than so to regulate our oaths, that they shall neither be rash, frivolous, promiscuous, nor passionate, but be made to serve a just necessity. In other words, to vindicate the glory of God, or promote the edification of a brother. This is the end of the commandment. Thanks for listening. In the show notes, you can find contact information and a link to the text from today. Remember to heed Paul when he says in Ephesians 4:29, to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers.